This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. I, of course, am your host, David Dole, and coming up on today's show, why we should be standing up for postal workers in their battle against the Liberals and Canada Post Management. Also, the stupid advice Hillary Clinton has offered Europe, showing she ha- really hasn't learned much from her loss to Trump in 2016. And later, what I bought on Black Friday that now has my arms in pain. I know that's the most important story of all these three, but uh, all that and more coming up on the David Dole Show. But first, I've spent a lot of time going after Doug Ford and his anti-worker legislation, such as freezing wages, ripping away two paid sick days, and reopening cash for access fundraising. But... There's also a lot to say about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his Liberal Party. And here joining me in studio to discuss this is Luke Savage. He's a staff writer for Jacobin, and his work can also be seen in The Guardian, Current Affairs, The Globe and Mail, and others. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Hi. So uh, let's start off, before we get to uh, Trudeau here, there are, I think, a lot of voter assumptions when they... um, Read in the media somebody, say, going after Justin Trudeau or going after Doug Ford or the conservatives or the liberals, that if you, are t- if you attack one party, then you're a supporter of the other. But you and many other uh, leftist writers have a, a, a perspective where you, I think, more come from the view of the actual average, the, the average person. So, for example, two of your pieces in The Guardian, one is uh, Doug Ford reveals Canadian rights disdain for constitutional norms. And you also have another piece titled, Justin Trudeau is waging a phony war against inequality. So uh, what sort of stories are you drawn to that make you want to speak out and educate people? Well, there are all kinds of uh, things that motivate me, but I think one of my biggest frustrations is uh, that I think certain perspectives, uh, perspectives of those coming from the left and also just perspectives of a lot of ordinary people are really absent from uh, much of the mainstream media. And one of the results of this uh, is that our political world, our kind of political discourse is often treated as a binary where the spectrum really runs from liberal to conservative. Um, I think that's deeply unhelpful. Um, I mean, in, in this country, it, it, it's never made sense because we have a three-party, at least a three-party system mm-hmm. um, more than, you know, uh, we and we've had, you know, uh, at least a third party with substantial representation in parliament for decades and decades. So it really makes uh, it, ma- it makes no sense here. Um, but I think uh, a lot of really important perspectives are absent from uh, a, from the conversations that we have on a day-to-day basis in this country. And that's one of the things that motivates me the most strongly. Mm-hmm. So let's get to your uh, your piece from The Guardian that you, you put out back in May. How is Trudeau waging a phony war against inequality? Oh, there's so much to be said about this. I mean, back in 2015, uh, as you'll remember, uh, you know, the Trudeau liberals, uh, they made a lot of noise um, around kind of, I guess, different policy announcements, but just rhetorically, they made a lot of noise about how they were serious about fighting inequality. Um, and, you know, even though they'd been saying something really different uh, just a few months earlier, um, I think mess- they were using messaging that was a lot more kind of uh, familiar and kind of even right-leaning in some cases. Um, you know, they really... Uh, you know, grabbed the bull by the horns and and they got comparisons in the media to Occupy Wall Street. And they said, we're going to raise taxes on the rich and um, we're going to we're going to embrace Keynesian economics. You know, activist government was back. They at least made a lot of noises, which certainly got um, 
you know, some people in the media, you know, intermittently excited or if they were, you know, more conservatively minded, terrified that this, you know, dangerous uh, tax and spend left wing government was coming back. Um, but I guess my position and the one that I argued in the piece has always been that this type of messaging is more of an affectation than it is a reality. I mean, if we're to just go through quickly what these kind of, uh, uh, you know, what these announcements were, what these policies were that, that supposedly made up the anti-inequality agenda, you know, this branding that the government's so fond of really doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Um, for one thing, you know, uh, taxes, right? It's a, it's a, they, they really talked heavily about how they're going to raise taxes on the rich and cut them for the middle class. Um, and if you actually break down uh, what they did, um, they, you know, they did create this new tax bracket for people making, uh, uh, I, I think it was just over 200,000, although I may have the number wrong. Um, and then they cut uh, taxes for what they described as the middle class. But the, the biggest gains from that tax cut went to people making between about 89,000 and $200,000 a year. Mm -hmm. um, and the net uh, result of those two uh, tax policies was actually the federal government having uh, less revenue at the end of the day than it did before. So uh, income taxes uh, were were made lower than they had been under Stephen Harper. So that's not that's not some, you know, uh, hard left, um, you know, uh, taxing the rich type of uh, type of policy. Um, and it also gets at kind of this language of the middle class that they're so fond of using, which, you know, kind of both, you know, the middle class when Justin Trudeau or Bill Morneau says it ends up meaning kind of everyone and also no one. It's not like a it's not a, a category that they're able to to define. In fact, they've openly said that they it's it's you know it's 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 as good as being a brand. It's not you know any discernible income group or anything like that. Um, so you know they 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 talked a lot about this stuff, but if you actually look at what they did, uh, it's 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 minimal to actually moving in the opposite direction. Yeah. So let me just read a quote. Um, this is from Trudeau, but it's from your piece. This is a, he said, national business leaders and other wealthy Canadians should draw the following conclusion and do so urgently. If we do not solve the problems facing the middle class and low income earners, Canadians will eventually withdraw their support for a growth agenda. We will all be worse off as a consequence. And uh, going on to say that Canadians might begin to vote for leaders who offer comforting stories about who to blame for our problems rather than how to solve them. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> This, so the language here is, I mean, it's, it's sort of on the right track, but at the same time, it's, it's giving, um, it's sort of a, a warning to the elites. It's, it's Trudeau talking to the elites as opposed to him being a representative, uh, a representative of the, the working class person. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been on a, a kind of personal quest for several years to kind of popularize this quote because I don't think enough people have seen it. And I actually also think, you know, it's pretty easy to read and just kind of, you know, it, it ticks several boxes. He's, you know, concerned about inequality, blah, blah, blah. It's very easy to miss what he's actually saying there. Um, and, and I mean, he's addressing, he's quite explicitly addressing a, a business audience. And what he's saying is that inequality is kind of a technical problem, you know, you know, uh, inequality, let alone, you know, poverty uh, or unequal distributions of wealth and power in this country. Uh, the real problem there is that it might make people angry and then they might vote for real socialists, um, you know, uh, and uh, and we can't allow we can't allow that. So you need to let me kind of use this language. You need to support me in this because I'm uh, I mean, if you really if you know, if, if you really read it literally, he's saying, you know, I am I am your sword and shield against 
you know, the masses yeah. and, uh, and, and against uh, a democracy which might elect a government that you actually don't like. Yeah, it's sort of uh, like literally the, the third way in written down in, in a speech form where he's talking about, look, you don't want to have a socialist come in or you don't want, you know, a, a Trump-like figure or a, a Doug Ford-like figure. So the only way forward is to uh, support me and, and these sort of corporate-focused, elite-friendly policies where it seems like we're doing something. But we are really just <laughs> doing the bare minimum so that the conservatives can, can still call us, you know, the crazy left, the, the socialist. I mean, the idea that some people out there think Justin Trudeau is a socialist. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know what they would base that on. I mean, we, we have somebody who is clearly uh, very friendly to the elites, very friendly to the corporate class, yet um, gets criticized as somebody who is too far left, which is just completely absurd. So I guess, I mean, I'm wondering... Why haven't the NDP been able to uh, grab more attention and more support in this in this sort of uh, Trudeau era? Well, I mean, the perpetual problem uh, for the NDP, I think even going back to when it was, uh, you know, the CCF, you know, is that the liberals are very good at, I mean, sometimes they have actually been forced to just steal uh, NDP policy and, mm -hmm. and implement it. But um, what they often do and what they did so successfully in 2015 is they sort of embraced uh, language that a lot of people found similar, and that sort of gave people permission to to vote for them. Um, and the NDP uh, has been faced with that for for decades. This kind of classic liberal tactic of these uh, you know road to Damascus conversions, always a few months before an election, often after several months or several years of governing, you know, basically from from the right. And it's exactly what will happen again. You know, in the next year, I'm sure uh, all this kind of anti inequality messaging it'll get going again. Um, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see all of that. I mean, I think there are uh, there are more kind of um, obvious reasons why the NDP is having uh, you know a bit of trouble. Uh, you know, if we're to believe uh, what the polls are saying, um, and just you know, I think not having the leader in parliament makes a pretty big difference. Yeah. Um, I think that the amount of uh, just kind of exposure that comes from that. Um, you know, being without that is uh, is pretty compromising. And so we'll have to see how things look um, once, you know, uh, Justin Trudeau is under a little more scrutiny and once, uh, you know, Jagmeet Singh is uh, actually across him in parliament after he, uh, you know, most likely wins this by-election in Burnaby South. Mm -hmm. So I guess before we go to break, I want to introduce people, if they don't know already, to neoliberalism, which is what Justin Trudeau represents, but it's also what our conservative party represents. Can you sort of explain how uh, neoliberalism isn't, you know, liberalism? So there's a lot of ways to answer this question. I mean, we could do a whole show on on neoliberalism, and I guess I really there are really two ways that I would that I would answer this question. I mean, at at the most basic level, uh, the best definition of neoliberalism was given by one of its uh, strongest advocates, Margaret Thatcher, when she said there's no such thing as society. So neoliberalism is kind of the idea that uh, we're just a bunch of individuals. We don't really belong to communities or or really anything, you know, anything else. We don't have any kind of uh, relationship to one another that's, that's thicker than our, uh, our kind of transactional economic relationships. And so there's a whole political project that's built off of that. But I think that the most important feature of neoliberalism as it um, inflects our kind of our daily political conversations is really what it's about is limiting our horizons for politics. It's about mm. um, where this, it's about making the spectrum of politics one that, 
you know, allows you to choose between, you know, whose tax cuts do you want, the liberal or the conservative tax cuts, mm -hmm. you know, who's, you know, whose tax credits on, you know, hockey sticks or art supplies are you going to vote for? Uh, oftentimes, it's just, it, it becomes even a contest of personalities, you know, who mm -hmm. do you, which, which, uh, which guy do you like better? And so neoliberalism, I would say, is the philosophy in a world where we can establish a, you know, permanent outpost on in, in space, uh, or we can develop, you know, uh, cures to diseases that were thought uncurable decades ago. Neoliberalism is a type of politics that 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 says, well, all those things are possible, but uh, a national pharmacare program? Are you serious? That what is that? What kind of pie in the sky? Mm -hmm. You know, thinking is that? Oh, you want to raise taxes on the rich? Well, that's that's literally impossible. It tells us, you know, you mm -hmm. want to reduce. Um, levels of inequality you don't want to have like a, a you know a, a horribly stratified uh, unequal society well that's impossible too so to me that's the best I, I think that's the simplest way to understand uh what what the neoliberal uh project if you like is mm -hmm. coming up next i continue my discussion with luke savage on justin trudeau doug ford and neoliberalism and do you have any questions or comments what do you love or hate about justin trudeau or doug ford Give us a call at 416-872-1010. You can also text me at 71010. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. The David Dole Show continues on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. I'm joined by Luke Savage, staff writer for JacobinMag.com. He also has uh, articles in The Guardian, Current Affairs, The Globe and Mail, and other publications. And we're continuing our conversation on Justin Trudeau's phony war against uh, inequality. And also, we're going to get into Doug Ford. So we're taking your calls. What do you love or hate about Justin Trudeau or Doug Ford? Take your pick and let us know your thoughts. 416-872-1010. You can also text us at 71010. Now, we did get a text in that I want to, uh, I want to address. So <laughs> someone essentially called you uh, a Marxist, which I don't think would be a bad thing if it's true, but also um, claims that lefties, all they want to do is uh, gain power over the lives of free people. Now, explain, uh, I, I guess, the flaw with with that thinking and uh yeah what are your thoughts on that i uh, i can't speak uh for for what others believe but uh you know i w i describe myself as a democratic socialist and what that means to me is uh political democracy but also economic democracy um you know with the aim being uh you know certainly more equality but more equality as a uh, a precursor a necessary kind of uh a precursor to 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 freedom because i don't think people are meaningfully free uh when you know for example they have to uh you know the 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 choice they have is between you know political parties that don't offer them uh anything that benefits their lives uh or when they have you know their freedom is the freedom to choose between which kind of degrading poorly paid uh job uh they're going to take mm -hmm. or or whatever so or like a, like a healthcare, for example, like the like when you look at America and and understand that this is a country that still doesn't have a universal uh, healthcare system. I mean, is that freedom? The freedom to go bankrupt if you can't afford healthcare? Right. The freedom to be at the mercy of different private insurance companies that profit off your illnesses, and then even when you are sick, are often not uh, not there for you. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, um, 
what our government should do is is protect us, and that includes protecting us against corporations whose only drive is profit. I mean, that's what they're designed to do. The, the idea that that uh, we should just you know accept the uh, private industry and and assume that they're going to have our best interests at heart when we know the only uh, the only driving factor of a corporation is to make more and more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not that they are immoral; it's that they are amoral. There is no I mean, there's no control. If you don't have controls on that, then what you have is simply this uh, limitless taking from the working class people. So you have to have protections in place to to uh, to push back against that. So the idea that I mean that anybody <laughs> that we want to control people's lives, it's the complete opposite. We want people to have health, healthy, happy lives. But uh, let's go into into Doug Fortier. So. I, my other political hero. <laughs> exactly. So Doug Ford is somebody who, I mean, so we were just talking about Justin Trudeau and his phony war against inequality. There are comparisons that I think anybody could make about uh, between Trudeau and Doug Ford that maybe people don't often think about. So, I mean, just uh, on, a, on a base level, on, on a character level, these are two people who were born into privilege. Um, a lot of people born into privilege have a tough time understanding what life is like for the average person. I think that isn't always the case, obviously, but I think that is the case with with Trudeau and uh, I would say especially Doug Ford. But I don't know what. Just I guess let's start top level. What do you think about Doug Ford and uh, the idea that he is for the people? I mean, I think he is for the people. If those people are, you know, your landlord, your boss, uh, you know, uh, the the guys down at the country club. Um, I, I mean, I I think I, I would love to hear somebody make a good faith argument for how anything Doug Ford has done since he's become premier of this province has meaningfully benefited, uh, you know, the average person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know what that would be. I Dude, think buck a beer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Which didn't even, we, they, we can't even have that. No, it doesn't even work. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's completely phony. I mean, I think adopting, um, a kind of a, I mean, Doug Ford is, is often said to have a folksy persona. I don't really, I don't really get that, but I think adopting that kind of, uh, that kind of persona and yeah, saying the word folks a lot, you know, doesn't, doesn't mean you're for the average person. Yeah. But I, the thing is, it fools people, right? So uh, with Trump, it's the same thing. Trump, much like Doug Ford, both born into privilege, both inherited their business, both don't know what life is like for the average person, both pretend to be for the working class. But I mean, you have Doug Ford freezing wages at $14 an hour. And oh, but he, he cut taxes, right? Yeah, but if you go into it, you realize you would have made more money at 15 an hour, not to mention... That if you were making anywhere near the minimum wage, if you're making 16, 17, 18, your wage would have also likely seen an increase. So, I mean, raising the minimum wage does have a trickle up effect on on the system. So the idea that (laughs) the idea that Doug Ford is is for uh, the people, I think, is just completely ridiculous. I do want to mention. So they also have this, I guess, this proposed tax cut for the for the rich. This is a, a quote from CBC reporter Mike Crawley. Uh, quote, I asked Finance Minister Vic Fideli three times in his news conference to explain why he's giving the wealthiest Ontarians a tax cut when the province is in such a deep fiscal hole. Each time, he refused to answer the question directly. I guess my... I'm just wondering, what is the media doing wrong here? Why do, why aren't more people aware that 
for, for well, one example that Justin Trudeau is is not a, a lefty, and that Doug Ford is not for the people. Why aren't more people aware of these things? I mean, it's a really complicated question. I mean, I think that I think the I think the media struggles to cover, and I'm I'm somewhat sympathetic to this actually. You know, a government like Doug Ford's, where they they basically don't ask or they don't answer questions. You know, ministers often kind of actually run away from. I don't know if Lisa Thompson. Uh, has actually given an interview yet. Uh, there, there's one reporter who's been uh, every single day tweeting about her attempts to get, you know, this senior cabinet minister in Ontario to to just talk to her and has, you know. Um, so I think that's very difficult to uh, deal with. But I mean, I think, uh, you know, it's for uh, the the real answer to questions for all the reasons that, that you've already uh, kind of gestured at. I mean, um, we have a, a, a political discourse that's just very steeped in kind of, uh, you know, the language and the thinking of, uh, well, neoliberalism. There's no there's mm-hmm. no other way to say it. I, I would say I think another another issue is um, and this is maybe a little bit of a digression from your question, but I think it's relevant mm-hmm. is is the way in which uh, the media so often covers um, politics, not really in ideological terms, but either as kind of just a, a spectacle or a, or, a, or a trade show. Like uh, sports. Or, or like, or exactly, yeah. like sports. So, um, you know, when you watch, uh, you know, a hockey game or something and the play-by-play guy uh, is sort of talking about the, the game, um, you know, to, to make it exciting and to kind of um, explain it to you without really... Uh, without really taking sides, right? Mm-hmm. And that's often how uh, that's often how we talk about uh, you know politics in the media. Um, you know, and I'm not not trying to single anyone out, but I think if you turn on a lot of the major TV networks in this country and you're an engaged uh, citizen and you're curious and and you know you want to know about an issue, often what confronts you is this horse race coverage, endless talk about opinion polling. Um, Mm -hmm. or different spin doctors who are kind of talking about, you know, who are political professionals. So actually, they professionally think about politics in these terms. They think of it as as kind of a sporting event. Um, The stakes are actually kind of low for them, or they're certainly not existential, which ultimately questions of politics are for a lot of people asked, you know, they have to do with, um, yeah, what your wages are going to be, whether you're going to, whether you're going to be able to uh, get groceries this week or, or whatever. So I think that's a really big problem too. Yeah. So, uh, I do want to touch on this piece that you that you had in the uh, the Guardian. Uh, Doug Ford reveals Can, uh, Canadian rights disdain for constitutional norms, and that's in regards to the notwithstanding clause. Do you want just to sort of explain um, what Doug Ford uh, did there, and and I guess the threat that it potentially poses? Sure. I mean, so yeah, I should say first that that wasn't uh, that was that was the editor's headline, not mine. And I think it <laughs> I think it it's it somewhat um, it, I won't say it contradicts the thesis, but it, it wasn't it wasn't quite the the message I was trying to convey in the piece. So mm-hmm. I mean, basically, uh, you know, I think Doug Ford didn't actually have to use the notwithstanding clause, so he didn't actually technically have to override the the Constitution. But I was looking, I was very interested in the kind of the weeks after um, how. Other figures, kind of on the Canadian right, were gonna were reacting to this, um, and I think, generally speaking, the reaction was that they were very excited. And my impression was that he's really kicked open the door um, for them. I mean, he's the, the Constitution and the ways that the courts have interpreted it. Uh, I think has been relied upon by a lot of progressives as kind of a crutch because they think, well, even if um, you know, even if uh, we're losing elections or we're kind of losing ground elsewhere. 
um, well, the, the Supreme Court's going to protect us. And I think what this shows is if you are brazen enough, if you have enough contempt for people's basic, uh, basic democratic rights, uh, there's a lot that you can get away with. And so, um, you know, uh, there was a piece in the in the I guess financial post that I that I cited in, in in my Guardian article that I thought was very scary, where it was this fellow from the Fraser Institute talking mm -hmm. all about how uh, you know this is I think he called it what Doug Ford did a welcome reassertion by our political class or something a welcome reassertion of power, mm -hmm. and he was, starts listing off. Well, think of all the things we can do next. We can, you know, we can finally get back at those damn unions, and we can pass bylaws that punish municipalities that uh, you know pass anti pollution, you know, uh, mm -hmm. bylaws or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that that's very scary because within our system of government, uh, within our, you know, Westminster parliamentary system, uh, if somebody wants to do that, I mean, when we have a, we don't directly elect the premier. So if they want to do, uh, do, you know, do, do whatever, uh, the mm -hmm. only thing that's often stopping them if they have a majority government is kind of you know, propriety and norms and kind of traditions. And if somebody, you get someone like Doug Ford who doesn't care about any of that, uh, the damage they can do is 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 really quite severe. And all and apart from, uh, you know, writing to our MPs or filling the streets as, as necessary, there's not a lot we can do about it. Mm -hmm. So we're talking with Luke Savage, writer for Jackman, and we have a uh, caller, Matthew in Toronto. Uh, what are your thoughts? Hey guys, I'm actually in Vaughan because that's going to actually be important a little bit later. Um, okay. just, I'm not going to take too much time, but you know, I am, I would consider myself uh, a fan of Ford for most of the time. The one thing that I, I want to make clear is that I would say I'm an everyday person and I have three levels of government that I have to be mindful of in my everyday life. Living in Vaughan, I spend most of my time looking at, at my municipal government because it is a pile of what I believe, and a lot of people believe, a corrupt mess. And so I don't even think about federal politics most of the time. Most of the time I'm looking at, at municipal, and then when I look at the province, I say, okay, that's good enough for me for now. And, and you know, it's hard to really get into all these deep ideas, mm -hmm. right? That's a fair point. I think a lot of people are, are busy, and they simply don't have the, um, the time to, to follow exactly what is going on. I do want to ask you, though, uh, what do you like about Doug Ford? Well, one thing I was thinking, I had to discuss with my cousin a little earlier, is uh, we were talking about how he's like, oh, I want to try pot now. And I, and I said, uh, you know, I appreciate that come April, anybody who wants to open up a shop is more than welcome to do so mm -hmm. under the certain regulations and restrictions and everything. But, you know, unlike the LCBO, anybody can do that. And I think that that, well, it's one example, it kind of uh, sets the tone for how he, he and his government thinks about a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're going to back off a little bit. You know, yeah, they're overreaching a little bit here and there, but most of the time, you know, back off, let you live your life. And, you know, there's government's still going to make their money regardless. So, All right. Thank you, Matthew. So that is one point. Um, I guess I'll head on before we have to go to break. Uh, the privatization of cannabis sales. I feel like this is one area where... I don't mind too much. At the same time, I do wish there were public stores as well. Uh, but what are your thoughts about, about privatizing cannabis as opposed to what the liberals had uh, had planned? I mean, I don't see any particular reason why there needs to be a... a I mean, I, I agree with the uh, the caller on this. I mean, I don't, think, I, don't, I don't think there's any particular reason why there needs to be a you know government monopoly on pot 
mm-hmm. sales. I think it, that that doesn't make any sense. And and I, I'm also, I mean, I I, I think I, I disagree with uh, what he said about uh, how the Ford government kind of wants to you know take a step back. I mean, they're not taking a step back when they're clawing a thousand dollars away from from you know low income people's wages. But I I'm, I am sympathetic to what he said about. Uh, you know, uh, the levels of government that he has to, the, you know, deal with. And, you know, I, I would just say to him that, you know, people like myself who advocate for, you know, perhaps uh, the government or the state or the public sector to do more, we are not insensitive to the fact that, you know, not everything, uh, not every level of government is without corruption. We don't like corruption either. Um, and, you know, having a crappy municipal government sucks. And, uh, you know, I hope you can get a better one. Yep. All right. Where can people find your work? Uh, you can find it uh, weekly in Jacobin Magazine, uh, but I write for other places as well. So uh, Twitter is the best place to find me, at Luke W. Savage. Great. Luke Savage is a staff writer for Jacobin, and his work can also be seen everywhere from The Guardian to Current Affairs to The Globe and Mail. Luke, thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Coming up next, why we should be standing in solidarity with postal workers who've been on rotating walkouts for a month. This is The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. You're listening to The David Dole Show, News Talk 1010. Welcome back to The David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture, right here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Before I get to the uh, Canadian Union of Postal Workers, I do want to mention the, the recent news that GM Canada is expected to close their plant in Oshawa, which will affect 2,500 uni- uh, unionized jobs and 300 salaried employees. If you happen to be one of these employees and you're listening, give us a call at 416-872-1010, and I would love to talk to you. So Canadian Union of uh, Postal Workers, 50,000 members, have held rotating walkouts for a month, which is apparently too long for Canada Post Management, who claim there is a backlog of a million parcels. Damn. Except that in 2017, there were 67 days when postal workers delivered more than a million parcels. Jeff Bickerton, a member of the Postal Union, tweeted out saying, Canada Post calls a million parcels a crisis. Postal workers call it a Monday. (laughs) Now, no one likes it when their services are, of course, interrupted. But put yourself in the shoes of these workers. During the past four years, Canadian postal workers have experienced 30,877 injuries. Of these injuries, 14,752 were classified by Labour Canada as disabling injuries. The injury rate at Canada Post is 5.4 times the average of the rest of the federal sector. And the injury rate of letter carriers is over eight times that of the average for the rest of the federal sector. So what are these massive demands that they're asking for? Well, a wage increase of just 2.9%, greater job security and minimum guaranteed hours, Rules that would cut down on workplace injuries, limits on unwanted overtime, and protections for victims of domestic violence. Things that I think any working person would want. Now, I just look at this, I mean, if, if we have the money for something like, like a, an oil pipeline, a $4.5 billion oil pipeline, and money for corporate giveaways, more uh, that were just announced from the Trudeau government, Why can't we support our postal workers? So 
the Liberals have tabled back-to-work legislation, uh, which the Senate has pos- uh, postponed their decision on until tomorrow, legislation that will deny the Canadian Union of Postal Workers the right to negotiate health and safety measures. In terms of back-to-work legislation, in 2015, the Supreme Court ruled that Canadian workers have a fundamental right to strike, protected by the Constitution. When the union took the Harper government to court after similar back-to-work legislation in 2011, a court later ruled the move was unconstitutional. So, again, why do we stand with our postal workers? Because unions set the standard for the rest of us. Look at child labor laws. Look at overtime pay. Look at the weekend. I mean, we have evolved as a society because of workers, because of unions. So to simply ignore or not care about these postal workers and what they're asking for and what they've gone through, the injuries they've gone through, the work that they do that is vital to our society, you have to understand that these workers represent the solidarity that we have had in this country for unions and for what they have achieved. Healthcare, universal healthcare. Workers stood and pushed that forward. We have that today because of unions like this. So all I want to do is, is have people understand that, you know, this story has sort of kind of fallen off the radar since it, it, uh, it began a, a month ago. But be aware that these workers are just like you and me. These are people that have a hard job, they work hard at it, and they're simply asking to be compensated properly for it and to also have basic things like safe, uh, safety and, and health care and rules that allow them to be safer in their job as this job, as we've seen from the injuries, can be dangerous. Coming up next, the dumb advice that Hillary Clinton has offered Europe showing she really hasn't learned much from her loss to Trump in 2016. This is the David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show on News Talk 1010. Welcome back to the David Dole Show, your rational look at news, politics, and culture right here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. So I've discussed Justin Trudeau, Doug Ford, unions, but now let's get to something that is really important, Black Friday deals. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I tend to engage in, in, in sales, in, in these sorts of deals, um, though I'm reminded that it was only, I think, five, ten years ago, we didn't even really have Black Friday. I mean, it's it's something that we've adopted now from from the U.S. It used to just be Boxing Day here. Didn't get any sales till Boxing Day. But now we get to do our Christmas shopping, or in my case, uh, buy something for myself on uh, <laughs> on Black Friday. So I teased at the beginning of the show that I bought something on Black Friday that uh, has my arms now in pain. So I, I was looking for something to get me to start working out again. No, I didn't look at, you know, treadmills or exercise machines or, or weights. No, I went straight to video games. <laughs> so I uh, finally picked up, because I've been looking at this for a while, 
uh, PlayStation VR. Now, this is something where, so just, uh, I guess, a little, you know, insider knowledge here. I used to be a, a huge gamer. I still sort of am, but I used to actually cover games for a living. Um, but now I, I'm sort of, a, I guess, a, a casual gamer, you would call. But I saw this this sale and I had to pick it up. PlayStation VR came with a, or came with a uh, some boxing game and another game. And I'm telling you, it is a good workout. So if you're looking for uh, a reason to, uh, or an excuse to work out, and you can't find yourself going to the gym or, or um, I don't know, you know, lifting weights, I don't know, consider virtual reality. <laughs> so I was playing this boxing game last night, and I woke up this morning with the, the just the, the biggest pain in my arms. Now, luckily, I... Uh, I think it's it's it it is going to have some benefits. I'm hoping, but um, you know, it's just one of those things where <laughs> I feel like I had to mention it because I don't think people often associate exercise with with video games. But virtual reality, man, it's here, and uh, it's the stuff's only getting crazier. But let me get to what I teased before the uh, the break, and that's Hillary Clinton's. Her heartless message to Europe, which is essentially, don't help migrants. So this is what she told The Guardian in an interview this week. Quote, I think Europe needs to get a handle on migration because that is what lit the flame. I admire the very generous and compassionate approaches that were taken, particularly by leaders like Angela Merkel. But I think it is fair to say Europe has done its part and must send a very clear message. We are not going to be able to continue to provide refuge and support. Because if we don't deal with the migration issue, it will continue to roil the body politic. This is Hillary Clinton calling for Europe to stop accepting migrants. Now, this is stupid in three different ways. So let me just start with the stupidity in terms of the politics of it. Hillary Clinton, knowingly or unknowingly, is falling into the trap of right-wing rhetoric. So... She chased after so-called moderate Republican voters in 2016, which did not work out for her. And you know why? Because there are not that many Republican voters willing to vote for a Democrat. All you have to do is talk to any conservative. A lot of it is really about brand and culture. And I mean, unless you are going to change parties, you're not going to get a vote from a conservative. But this also continues pulling the political discussion to the right. So instead of challenging Trump or challenging the, uh, the, the notion that we should sort of just ignore migrants and that's going to somehow solve the problem, we have to deal with reality and that there are these people who now need a place to live because of people like Hillary Clinton. So the other, uh, the second way this is stupid is because of her hypocrisy on here. So the top three origins of people applying for asylum in uh, the EU are Syria, Afghanistan, and Iraq. So on Iraq, in 2002, as senator of New York, Hillary Clinton voted for the Iraq war, which of course was a huge mistake that led to the masses of civilians fleeing the country that we continue to see today. And on Afghanistan, in 2009, as Secretary of State, Clinton supported sending 30,000 more troops into the country. She supported that war the entire way, 
and again has led to these migrants fleeing the country. And on Syria, Clinton has also been a hawk. She proposed that the Obama administration provide arms to rebels seeking to topple Assad, which, well, in 2017, USA Today reported that the arms the U.S. sent to anti-Assad fighters in Syria were captured by the radical terrorist group ISIS. And the third way that this is stupid is just the complete lack of morality. The idea that we need to prioritize how the, the body politic is, uh, may react to these issues as opposed to actually dealing with human lives. I mean, it's just completely, it, it's, it's, it's completely morally bankrupt. So Hillary Clinton, who still to this day, I see people consider Hillary this, this, oh, she's a crazy leftist. That's why she didn't win. No, she didn't win in 2016 because, well, first of all, the Electoral College, <laughs> she did win by three million more votes, but she didn't uh, win the Electoral College to become president. But also the fact that, as I said, she chased conservative voters. Instead of speaking to a base of people, a mass of people in America that want to see something like Medicare for all, that want to see higher wages, that want to see money out of politics, what she did instead was try and chase over or chase Republican moderate voters that do not exist. This is the mistake that Democrats, many Democrats, continue to make. But I think Hillary, Hillary's hypocrisy, her lack of morality and stupidity in terms of politics on this issue gives us just another example as to why she needs to go back into the woods and let a new generation of progressive leaders take over the spotlight. You can follow me on Twitter at David Dole, last name spelled D-O-E-L, or visit me on YouTube at therationalnational.com. Thanks for listening to The David Dole Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010.